Well, good morning, everybody. I have brought a giant wallet. This is a giant wallet. If you have a wallet of this size, then you have a very large pocket. And so uh, you are, uh, uh, of course, uh, part of a uh, system here, uh, an economic system that has long uh, encouraged us to make money. And of course, we need to make money because it's the only way that we can actually pay our bills and survive and really do good things in the world. And so, you know, we always just kind of open up our wallet and we pull out some cash and then we do the thing that we needed to do, whatever that thing is. And so, um, and we think that we turn around and we invest that. But more and more, I think we're beginning to realize that the day of money being our primary currency is long gone. I mean, is it, I think most people here would consider money a secondary currency. In fact, we, we really, we already know that's the case because we have so many things in life that aren't directly related to money. But there is something behind all of them, right? So what you really do is you open up your, your wallet and what you really find when, when, when you go searching in there isn't some, uh, some, some dollars and cents, but it's time. Because time is actually your main currency. And you know that's the case because you actually take time and that's how you turn around and get a job. And so you get a job in order to make money, which means you've exchanged some of your time for money. So currency, something that you can actually spend to make money is your time. Yeah, your talent and all your, and your experiences, but you got most of your talent and experiences in education by investing your time. And so you just go in there and just keep investing your time. Now, here's the thing about it. We always talk about currency in a way that makes it so that the, the end goal of currency is to have more of it, right? So we always want more of this currency that we think makes the world go around. But isn't that the kicker with time? <laughs> How much time do you have? Well, if you want to just think about the day ahead, you've been given 24 hours which means you have exactly the same amount of time as everyone else. So how will you spend it? It's a remarkable little exercise because if you think through every day and then a week and then by that a month and a year and the whole of your life, you realize that there are certain things that are sort of non-negotiable, right? There's always some self-care. You got to put some time in to sleep. Some of you put just actually that much, three or four on. <laughs> That's all you really get. Uh, but, you know, we're told that we actually need something like seven or eight or nine for some of you. I remember when my kids started getting older and all of a sudden they went from, you know, needing uh, like, uh, 11, like maybe it was seven, eight hours, nine hours, and all of a sudden they were sleeping 10 or 12 hours. And I was like, what's going on here? And they said, oh, developmentally this thing happens. 
And then somehow we're told that now we get by with like four or five or something like that. And really? And there's other things with self-care as well, right? Because, you know, this is a kind of a, we're a more sedentary kind of a, kind of a people. And that means we have to actually go out and look for work like an exercise. We have to take care of our bodies in ways. And so you might, you might say, yeah, I probably got to drop some time into that. And it, with that, it's like brushing your teeth because you should do that. Like it's kind of one of those self-care things. And this takes time. Like, you know, you have to eat. And before you know it, you're actually dropping a whole lot of time in making money and just yourself. But there's so many other ways that you could actually spend your time. And so, you know, you'll want to do some sort of entertaining. And some of you would say, well, for me, I just kind of, at the end of a long day, end of a long week, I need to take a little, a little me time. And so, you know, I got a show that I watch and I scroll Facebook and I, you know, do this other thing. And maybe I've got a hobby. That could be something that maybe you want to drop in there. And so some of you are like, what's a hobby? Hobby. Hobby, I know that word. I've heard that word. I don't know actually what it is. And then, of course, over here, you've got to invest in your family and friends. And that's just not, not only if you're a parent with kids. Yes, you need to invest in your kids if you're uh, you know, a parent. That, that's true. You, you definitely want to do that. But there's other family responsibilities. We have some, you know, you might have some elderly folks in, in your world, in your realm. They might be, you know, your parents or it might be a, an aunt or someone. Or there might be some people in your neighborhood that you want to be investing in. There might be friends here at church. You want to have, you know, some time and you want to invest. And so you're saying, you know, I'm going to definitely put some time in with the family and friends. But of course... You're here at church, which means you also value your journey with God. And so I'm calling all of that stuff worship. And so, you know, you're going to want to take some of your time, right, and spend it pursuing God in, in a very, you know, obviously every day of our lives is pursuing God. But, you know, we want to have some, some dedicated moments where we pursue God. So we might drop an hour in there. And it's Sunday, and Robert talks too long sometimes, so maybe we have to drop a second one a second one in there. Um, but also, some of you check out before it's over, so maybe not. Maybe I just take that right back out. And so, and of course, many of us know that we turn around and we waste a whole lot of it, right? Like, I mean, oh, no, 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 I don't actually waste much of my time. And then all of a sudden, you set one of those uh, reminders up on your phone that tell you when you've run out of time for doing one of your social media kinds of things. I set my when, I, when the new uh, iOS came out, I set my, uh, my timer on Facebook for 15 minutes. You know how fast 15 minutes comes up? <laughs> I mean, sometimes I haven't had breakfast. And my, my phone's like, hey, you're done for the day. I'm like, what? what? I, I didn't even like, I didn't like anything yet. Like, I got to go do something. I got like social. And so we, and then we have a little bit left over. And so we kind of figured out, we're like, oh, I want to have more family time. But actually where most of us spend it is right in here, right? We just keep piling in here because why? Because... We have a currency that we're after, another one. We're trying to trade our time for money. And where you spend it will, of course, reveal your values. Right? We all know that. You say, no, 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 I, I don't do that. I, don't, I, don't, I have to work so much because that's what my job demands. Well, your job demands it, and you do it for a reason. Remember, the exchange is behind the scenes. So what you're really doing is you're saying, I value what the world thinks about me and my status and my career. Maybe that's why you drop more in there. And you're like, no, 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 that's not it. I'm having trouble putting food on the table. And so now there's a certain amount of security that you value or care for your family that you value. And so that's why you end up dropping a whole lot more in here. 
You know, others are going to say, yeah, but you know, I really value my family and my friends, and so I spend a whole lot of time every single day. I'm working, you know, to, to connect with people, and, and I'm intentional about it. But you see, wherever you're spending your time will reveal a big portion of your values. And because you only have 24 hours in a day, just like the person next to you, it is a it's a great barometer on what you value. And of course, here we are in this series. We're trying to figure out how to live the, the superlative Christian life. We're trying to figure out what it looks like to live not just this kind of Christian life, but that kind of Christian life. What does it mean to follow Jesus and to be a part of, of his community in a way that just, just, just knocks our socks off? That's what we're hoping for, to live the kind of a Christian life that brings genuine and lasting and true joy to our hearts. And so according to God, if you want to make one of the smartest investments possible, something that will pay dividends for eternity, then you are going to want to invest in his mission. You're going to want to invest in his mission. In fact, a great argument from the scriptures could be made that you were created for mission. That the church itself only exists for mission. Sometimes we get this idea that the church exists just to help you in your spiritual journey. And that's a part of God's mission. But in fact, we are here to bring the love of God to a world that desperately needs it. That's his mission. And he is going to do that through people who know him and love him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and love other people as themselves. We point to that mission and we say that's actually how God explains this superlative kind of Christian life. So we're back in Romans 12 this morning. I know we've been, uh, we did two verses in uh, the last two weeks, uh, but we're actually getting past verses 1 and 2. So if you could open up to Romans 12, uh, we're going to spend our time in uh, verses 3 and, and on. But I want to go back and review for just a minute because this whole section by Paul is just so tight. It's just so tied in with exactly kind of this argument that he was, he was trying to lay out for us. And what we find here is both the basis for it, the mission that he has for us, and then how we particularly are meant to live it out. So Romans 12, starting in verse 1, follow along as I read it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. 
and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Now God's love for us is the spring from which our love flows. And we see that over and over and over again in scriptures, but we actually see it right here once again. So in Romans, there are eight occurrences of the word love in the form of agape love. Some of you heard that. It's a Greek word, agape, and it means love. And there are, there are eight occurrences. Four of them have already taken place in the book of Romans. And those four all relate to God's love for us. And so you're reading along in Romans and you're like, hey man, all of a sudden it's like, here's God's agape love for you. Here's God's agape love for you. Here's God's, it's chapter 5, verse 5, 8, 8, 15, 8, 39. All of these are about God's love for you. And then a shift takes place right here in, from around chapter, uh, chapter 12 to 15. And from 12 to 15, we get four more occurrences of agape love. But now it's your love for others. So he's already built the theological and emotional basis for our love. It's rooted in his love. Why is it we can do the kind of love that he calls us to, a sacrificial kind of love, a servanthood kind of love? It's because he's already given that love to us. So of course we can do his kind of love. We, he's, it's been poured out on us in abundance. And that's why we're willing to be a living sacrifice, right? That's what he said in 1 and 2, which is, again, by way of reminder, it means to surrender the whole of yourself to God. And that language is right out of Jewish customs of worship, and they would bring the animal, and they would sacrifice it. We talked about it the last couple of weeks. But this is, a, this is an important idea for us now. Because God is saying he wants all of you. He wants all of you. And usually what we do with that is we say, well, that means God wants our heart. He wants the whole of our heart. And that is such, it is absolutely true. But it is way more than that. It's not just that he wants your heart, right? We talk about becoming a Christian and we often use that idea of, well, you just got to accept Jesus in your heart. If you accept Jesus in your heart, then you're a Christian. And, and I understand there's some really great truth in that, and there's biblical precedent for understanding it that way. But it would almost seem in this context to say to, to follow Jesus means to lay the whole of your life down on the altar. It's to not just simply accept him into your heart, but it's to lay your entire body before him as his. To do with as he sees fit. It's a living sacrifice. It's the whole of you. We have John Stott, who uh, the way he commented on this passage I found very interesting. He said, no worship is pleasing to God which is purely inward, abstract, and mystical. 
It must express itself in concrete acts of service performed by our bodies. That's the gist of this whole section. It isn't simply enough to say, I got him in my heart, but he doesn't show up in your hands. It's not enough to say, I have accepted Jesus, and so all is good with me. But I'm going to still continue to do the things the way I want to do them and live my life the way I want to and spend my time the way I want to. If you are in fact a living sacrifice, then your body is not your own. Your time is not your own. It is God's to do with as he sees fit. And that includes the whole of you, right? That, that means it is your energy. And that means it is your emotional stamina. Wait, God gets to spend my emotional stamina? He gets to spend my emotional credits as he sees fit? Yes, you're a living sacrifice. You have consecrated the whole of yourself before him, and he gets to use that as he sees fit. That means it includes your skills and your intelligence, all of the strength that you can muster, and it includes, of course, your time. I mean, are you there yet in your thinking? Have you considered that this is part of the superlative Christian life, that your calendar itself needs to be laid open before Jesus and he gets to fill it out for you? Then he goes on and he talks about humility. Look at verse 3. He says, For the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. You see, humility is going to help you see where you are to serve the world. It will it'll be this energy that will help you serve the world in ways that you never even imagined possible. Humility means that we can accept and celebrate our giftings and our abilities. So often in the, in, the, in the Christian community, you know, we kind of see the things that are out there and some things might have a little bit more kind of like accolades or status or whatever it might be. And we're like, oh, that must be where God wants me to go. And humility says, no, I can actually use my gifting in the way that God has made me. There's humility in this. And it also, it's so freeing because then we don't have to judge ourselves by the world's standards and their values. When people look at your life and they go, I don't understand how it is you spend your time and money and energy in those different ways, even though it costs you and your family or it's a sacrifice that looks like it doesn't really make sense and you get to say, I don't have to live by the world's standards. We don't have to compare ourselves together uh, to others. We don't have to compare ourselves to others out there. And we don't have to compare ourselves to others in here. God has made each person unique. And it is in that diversity that we get to see the true genius of what God was doing. Building this interdependence between his children. See how we spend our time isn't going to be measured in the end by the world's standards but by God. It also means we don't have to be jealous of another person's gift. If you have humility in your service before your God, then you don't need to look at another and be like, oh man, I wish I had those gifts. God doesn't think that way about you. 
God isn't looking at your life and saying, you know, oh man, what they did today, you know, I wish they were doing like real work in the kingdom. God actually gives the real credit to those who are living out their calling in humble service and sacrifice to him. He's made you in this unique way. And then he has said, go and do that thing. And in that you will find superlative joy. I mean, in that way, the system is rigged in our favor. You get to actually live out of your, of your unique gifting. And you get to live out of your unique strengths. And God looks on it and he goes, and now that you're doing it, I'm so happy with you. Like the system is rigged in our favor. We're the ones who complicate it. He also says here, it's not, you have to do it with sober judgment. Not, it's, it's not with arrogance, but with sober judgment. And I love this idea because he's saying, first off, don't be arrogant, all right? Don't be like, you know, I kind of feel like I'm God's gift to the world, you know? So because I'm, you know, God's real lucky to have me on his team, right? You're not God's gift to the world, right? Like, you're not like, you know... God's gift to humanity. Except you are. See, if you do that in arrogance, then of course you have messed this whole thing up. But God has actually given you his gifts to be a gift to the world. So his empowerment flows through your experience out into the world. So you don't have to approach this with arrogance, and you also don't have to be overly critical of yourselves either, right? Because sometimes there's, there's the other error. There's the, the error that says, oh, no, I wouldn't be able to do that. No, 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 I wouldn't be able to be, that's not really me. Oh, no, I couldn't be able to, I don't want to, you know, I can't do that. I'm, I'm, I'm not really made for this. I'm not really, I can't tell you how many people have, have had such a self-deprecating view of who they are and what God has made them, that they're not willing to take any step forward in faith or risk. And he's saying, here, listen, be, just be sober about it. Don't be arrogant, be humble, but also don't, be, don't lie about it. Right? If you have genuine gifts, you have gifts of, uh, of mercy, if you have gifts of giving, if you have gifts of leadership, if you have gifts of teaching, and you say, yeah, no, 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 I'm, I'm not, uh, that's not me, I can't really do any of that stuff. God, God gave you those gifts. Who, who are you really talking about here? You or him? If he gave you those gifts, use those gifts. It's, it's actually dishonest for you to turn around and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I can't really do that, if you can. I'm not really wired for that, if you are. So there's this beautiful balance that, that Paul is creating here in this, and I think the self-assessment is important. Because this humility, it is going to allow you to serve in ways that will stretch you. For some, it's going to stretch you past things that you thought you were able to do. And others, it's going to put you lower than you thought was your station. And that's a beautiful thing when it happens. And when you live it out, you find the pleasure of God in your life. So after approaching service with humility, then we get to serve others in accordance with how God has made you. Look at verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And we have different gifts according to the grace God 
has given us. You know, body parts are weird, right? I mean, think about that. If you saw like a pile of matching body parts, like even if they're fake, like, you know, just a pile of like mannequin arms, you're like, ooh, that's, that's something's wrong. You know, you see all those little models that like, you know, medical people use and you're like, that's out of place. Something's wrong there. My boys used to, you know, that Legos were like a huge thing in, in our house. Bins and bins and bins of Legos that we had really up until the fire. Just all over the place, Legos all the time. And, and so with minifigs, what they like to do is they like to break them apart and like put the heads in one container and put all the hands in one container and the little body. Some of you are Lego people. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You break all these things up and then you're like, they're all dismembered people. Can't you keep the minifigs together? Like, why do we got to break them all up? And, you know, you see this whole pile. Remember there was this, uh, you remember this Geico Gecko kind of a commercial where the guy, he gets a new house and uh, he goes up into the attic and they turn on the lights and they're like, hey, welcome to your new home. And there's like, like mannequins and body parts. And he looks around, he's like, nope. And he just walks right back down the stairs. Like there's something weird about body parts until they're all put together. And then there's something beautiful. And there's something unbelievably amazing. There's something great about it when all of these different parts are put together. F.F. Bruce, uh, a New Testament scholar, he said that diversity, not uniformity, is the mark of God's handiwork. It is so in nature. It is so in grace, too. And nowhere more so than in the Christian community. Here are many men and women with the most diverse kinds of parentage, environment, temperament, and capacity. Not only so, but since they became, become Christians, they have been endowed by God with a great variety of spiritual gifts as well. Because of and by means of that diversity. Hear that? Because of and by means of that diversity, all can cooperate for the good of the whole. That is God's plan for his church. So what are your gifts? What do you do? What are your abilities? What are your skills? What's your heart's passion? What do you just, what, what stirs your heart? Because the things that create this, this holy discontent in your soul, they might be a good indicator of what it is that you're supposed to be doing in God's mission. It will require a reevaluation of your life for sure. Maybe you're going to come in here and say, you know what, i got to cut back just a little bit on a couple of things here. i got to make sure. Maybe I can take some of you know, my family time and turn that into a joint mission with my kids and with my friends. And maybe I can just take this whole stupid bucket of wasted life and put that toward what God has really designed for me. And you see, we get... We get to reevaluate our lives based on the principles that God has laid out for us. And if you have this, this holy discontent, what is it? What do you love to do? What part do you love to play? And you might say, well, you know, I really like, you know, to, to be a part of, uh, of making people feel welcome. Or I want to teach people. I want to train people. I want to, you know, this is a good thing. Follow that road down to its natural end, and you will be able to take part in a mission that will stir your soul. There's an ancient, uh, like two, 300 A.D., I think, uh, Origen is his name. He says, we're not just to receive the stranger when he comes to us, but actually to inquire after and look carefully for strangers. I'm like, what does that mean? What does it mean we're supposed to go after them, look for them? 
he says, to pursue them and search them out everywhere, lest perchance somewhere they may sit in the streets or lie without a roof. I'm reading this quote and I'm thinking to myself, what is he talking about? Well, look at, look at Romans 12, verse 13. He says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. That word for practice there, it's a strong word. It's been used for the word persecute and pursue. It's an aggressive word. He's not just practice. He's like, you go for it. What Origen is saying here, you pursue them and you search them out. It's right here out of Romans 12. He's saying, don't let opportunities just find you. You go find them. There's an incredible need out there. You know, what, what, you, you guys all know what's happening right now. This anti-Asian hate. You know, we first started hearing about this. If you are outside of the Asian community, this started really coming to our radar during COVID. If you're Asian, you're thinking, yeah, this has been happening like every day of my life. But if you're not inside that culture, maybe you hadn't heard about it before. I heard some, from some of you, you're like, I never even knew this was a thing. You know, and I've heard whispers about it over the years, but like I didn't know it was a real thing. Yeah, it's a real thing. I remember someone in our congregation posting an interaction they had at the very beginning of COVID. So, you know, people are like, why is this, you know, it's all blowing up right now. What's going on? It isn't blowing up right now. Enough's enough is what's going on right now. So what does that mean for you? Well, maybe you have gifts of mercy. Maybe you have a high sense of justice. This might be part of what you are supposed to do in this world. Now, listen, in every one of these areas of gifting, it is always the Christian's responsibility. Every Christian's, right? So if, if you don't have the gift of evangelism, you're still supposed to share. That's, that's your job as a Christian. And if, if you don't have the gift uh, of, uh, of giving... That doesn't matter. You're still supposed to be generous as a Christian. Those with those gifts will spend the greatest portion of their resources in those areas. Every Christian is called to hospitality. But if you are particularly called to hospitality, then make that the primary focus of your mission. If you say, you know, what I really love is I, I want to help people come to Christ. Well, every single Christian should help people come to Christ. Every single Christian should make a disciple of someone else in this world. Absolutely. That is a general call for all Christians. But if you have a spiritual gifting toward this end, if you have a, a holy discontent, then you might actually invest the whole of your, or the, the greatest portion of your, your mission in this world, your investment in those particular areas. Know what they are. Let us help you figure out what they are. And don't just simply wait until a need comes looking for you. But instead, go out. Because Christians, we have been told by our Savior to go to the highways and the byways. And to look for those in need and to meet those needs in his name. That's how we serve the world. So where will you serve? Where will you serve? You guys got this when you came in. If you didn't, you can certainly get it on your way out. And what you'll see is the opportunities at Beacon to serve are many and diverse. And so, you know, we've been talking about our mission here. This is our spiritual formation pathway. And right now we're talking particularly about serve the world. We've spent uh, the last really now two, four, six, seven, eight weeks of talking about these parts 
of our mission as a church. And now we're switching gears and we're talking about this part. What do we do as a community of faith, in a corporate sense, as a spiritual family, how do we go and serve the world? And you look through this list and that's what you're going to see. This little handout, it just goes through and it just talks about all the different ways. You know, maybe you're saying, I love helping people grow and worship for God, fall in love with Jesus. I want to help people feel welcome and connected to this spiritual family. Then, then there, you're taking, a, you're taking a look at the First Impressions team. And maybe you say, well, there's a whole lot of people who are hurting in our neighbor, in our community, and there are people that need a little bit of love from Jesus. And maybe you're thinking, well, the care ministry might be for me. Or you want to help do, you know, you like to serve people. And so, you know, we've got a group of people who are out there every Sunday. They're checking us in. They're watching after our volunteers. They're making coffee in the cafe. They're serving up. A, a healthy dose of hospitality. Why? Be, simply because they, they love people. Yes, but because they love people in God's mission. They're trying to create an environment where people will come in and know by the very tangible acts around us that they are loved. They're loved by us and that they're loved by Jesus. They're living out their faith in their bodies. You know, we have all sorts of opportunities behind the scenes, a great compassion team. That's where the food pantry falls under. But the compassion team is doing all sorts of really awesome work that is happening all the time. And so often people will say to us, you know, hey, do you guys ever do anything here? And we're like, yeah, yeah, we got this thing over there. They're like, really? I didn't know you guys do that. I'm like, yeah, this is all the time. We're having all these, these amazing things that are going on with so many volunteers and leaders who are giving of themselves and over and over we see it. You get in this area, and this is all of our group life stuff. This is Alpha, and it's small groups. There are connect leaders within the small groups, and then there are the Bible study teachers, and there are hosts in these groups. And what are they doing? They're creating a little environment for a group of people to know that they are loved in a way that Jesus wants us to love. They're creating a community here where if you ended up in the hospital, everyone in your group is going to drop what they're doing and go see you in the hospital. They're going to pray for you. They're going to support you. They're going to encourage your family. They're going to be your family. That's the goal of our group life. And then you say, you know, I really help. I want to pe help people grow in their faith. I want to like get them deep with God. I want to get them deep with Jesus. I want to show them what it means to live the Christian life. And you want to be part of our, our growing Christ ministries, our discipleship ministries, our D groups, our D classes. And you might say, well, you know, I'm not a teacher. Okay, then don't be a teacher, but then let it help us run the ministry. Maybe you're an organizer. Maybe your heart is for growing people deep and your skills are administrative. Then help us run that program behind the scenes. You see, it's not just, there's not just simply one way to serve in all of these different areas. Take your passions, take your skills, mash them together, see how God has made you, and let's figure out a way for you to live on mission for the kingdom. And around we go. You can follow that circle. Kids Quest, Fusion. I can't tell you how many lives have been transformed for eternity because a group of people have committed themselves to your kids and your teens for eternity. So many incredible opportunities all along. This list will give you a great sampling of what is out there and what is available. Now, some people ask me, hey, I want to serve. I got the gift of helps. I just want to serve wherever I'm needed. We'll give you a long list as well because right now, you know, Beacon, or as a portable church, our ministries are a little bit unique from what a lot of churches face because, you know, we're running at like 80 or 90% of pre-COVID 
activities and events. Our ministries are almost fully spooled up. We only have a few kind of big event things that we're not yet currently doing. But we've opened up our kids' programs. We opened them up early and safely. We had new uh, initiatives that came because of, of COVID. Um, all of this stuff, 80, maybe 90% we've spooled up with like 40% of our folks back. So it's like, you know, you want to talk about a group of people that have served tirelessly and sacrificially. <laughs> My goodness. Those of you who have seen us through the last year, hats off to you, man. In fact, I just want to give a round of applause to all of those who have been making this reality. Almost every one of our ministries became more complicated over the last 12 months. And there have been a group of people who have been working tirelessly behind the scenes and on the front lines to make everything happen, to provide all of these ministry opportunities so that we can still help people love God, and love people and grow in Christ and serve the world. It's been an absolute privilege to be serving with all of you during this incredibly tumultuous time. So here's what I want you to do. Not all of you are yet plugged in. Some of you already have ideas on what you want to do, and others are saying, I don't really know. But we will not be content until every single person who calls Beacon Church home is experiencing the kind of superlative Christian life that is linked to God's mission. You will love it. You will find great joy in it. I promise you, I've talked to countless dozens over the years, hundreds, maybe thousands of people over the years. And I will tell you time and again, they say, when I, when I am in the flow of the Spirit and I am connected to the mission of God, I find incredible joy and satisfaction in some of the most challenging spiritual moments imaginable. But my goodness, God has delivered every time. I want to encourage you. Use that little thing there. You can scan that little thing. You can take the picture. I think use your camera. I'm not, okay. Someone else explains all that. They told me you could find everything you need if you scan that. And so scan that. Talk to us. If you're not sure, if you have ideas, great. You can check those off on the form that you're going to be led to. You can take out your phone right now. You're allowed. Not, you know, usually, you know, if you're taking your phone out, I can't tell if you're reading the Bible or if you're checking Facebook. Um, but now if you take out your phone, I bet you're scanning this thing right here because you are ready to be a part of the work that God has for you right here as a part of your spiritual family as we pursue creating a community of missional disciple makers who know what it means to live the whole of their lives, to lay the whole of their lives down at the feet of of their Lord and their Savior. I want to encourage you, don't let this day go by without taking a step toward that end. Let us know your intention. Let us know your longing. Let us know your heart. Let us work with you to find that exact place that will bring the ultimate amount of joy and kingdom impact as you pursue God's mission.